Uh, we're in John 5, where we see Jesus encountering religious leaders of his day. And just stay with me. We're going to read a big chunk of this. But it's good to read the text together. Beginning in verse 31. John 5. If I testify about myself, Jesus said, my testimony is it's not true. There's another who testifies about me. And I know that the testimony he gives about me is true. You sent messengers to John and he testified the truth. I, I don't receive human testimony, but I say these things so that you may be saved. John was a burning and shining lamp and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You've not heard his voice at any time and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing in you because you don't believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think that they, you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. But you're not willing to come to me so that you may have life. I do not accept glory from people, but I know you that you have no love for God within you. I've come in my Father's name, yet, yet you don't accept me. If someone else comes in his own name, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but don't seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, because he wrote about me. But if you don't believe what he wrote, how will you believe my words? May God add God's blessing to the reading of God's word. Church at Harpetites, do you believe Jesus? Seriously, do you believe Jesus? Now, much of the Gospel of John, it, it uh, casts Jesus in the light of being on trial. Someone, in, someone who's on trial is trying to what? They're trying to present themselves or have others present on their behalf, them as being believable. Witnesses, they come and they hopefully make this happen and hopefully those witnesses are what? Believable. And the religious leaders here in this passage and what's going on here in the context in John, they are getting fed up with Jesus. Not only has he been healing on the Sabbath and doing things that religious leaders are just not supposed to do, he goes even further than that, and it relates to what his very first witness in John's account of Jesus' life has to say in chapter 1. When John the Baptist says, I'm not the Messiah, Jesus is. Turn to John 1 with me. We're going to read some more scripture together. John chapter 1, verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? Speaking to John the Baptist. 
He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then? They asked him, are you Elijah? I'm not. He said, are you a prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What, what can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am the voice crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, verse 24, they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or, or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. But someone stands among you. You don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. So the testimony by John is I'm not the Messiah, but Jesus is. it's, It's that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is not denying this. That would have made the religious leaders happy. You can't act like you're the Messiah. That's ridiculous. You're not the Messiah. You're a nobody. You're not obviously not saving us or or coming to set up God's rule and reign in the world. You aren't defeating anybody. This vagrant is walking around, around the wilderness just talking about you. This is madness. But John the Baptist says Jesus is the Messiah. And this is an important testimony for us to understand church. It's important for us to see, and I hope we see it. It's, it's profoundly important because it needs to be familiar to us. When we read these words that John the Baptist says that Jesus is the Messiah, that needs to resonate with us. It needs to well up inside of us as true when we read it, when we hear it. It should resonate with us because it's exactly what our testimony should be. It's what our testimony must be. It's what the testimony of our lives must be. The testimony of our church in this time and place that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the one who has come to save the anointed one, the one to rescue the entire world from sin and death. So I ask you this morning, church, do you believe Jesus? Do you believe Jesus? Look back at verse 36 in John 5, 36 through 38. We have John the Baptist's testimony, his witness of Jesus. And Jesus references an additional testimony. He says, I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. These very works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself testified about me. But you have not heard his voice at any time, and you haven't seen his form. You don't have his word residing, abiding, living in you because you don't believe the one he sent. Do you believe Jesus? Have you ever thought about how Jesus knew what to do, what to go around and do? the works that he references here being a witness to the fact that he was sent from the father as the Messiah, these works that he is to do and how they testify to him. Did you ever ever thought about how he knew the works to do? I have, 
I've wondered about that. Now, in a more agrarian society, you will, you will I believe, more frequently find children in a, in a household emulating the parents' work. You have the son out in the field with the father learning how to work with the land and the crops, or the daughter or the son learning how to tend the sheep or, or the other livestock. But in our industrial society, this phenomenon has become fewer and further between. However, we, we still can and do emulate our parents. I'm I'm doing what my father did. Some of you run the family business, and in many of these cases, you have gravitated to what we, well, we've gravitated to what we saw people do in and around the time of our formation when we were young. We, it becomes what we know, right? Leslie Ann and I marvel at the ways our children are like us, and we grieve it as well. <laughs> They watch us. They spend a lot of time with us. They become like us. It's just true. Progressive Insurance understands it. Have you seen those commercials? Don't act like your dad. They're fantastic. (laughs) Hilarious. Okay, so y'all, young men, young Jewish men around the time of Jesus' day, as I understand it, they would have really wanted to become religious scholars, regardless of what their parents may have done. It was the most venerated of positions to want to become a teacher of the law, one who was, who was seen as understanding greatly the law, God's word. Coincidentally, I have done a little bit of pop research with some of my friends who work in higher education, and they have done some work to ask students, particularly freshmen coming in, what what do you want? What are you looking for? What do you want these next four, maybe five years to help prepare you for? And many, many students um, say they want to be famous. Isn't that interesting? Like a high percentage. I want to be known. I want to be famous. I want to be respected. And then even more than that, the most common answer is I want to make a whole bunch of money. Well, it costs a lot of money to live in this world. So I, I don't disparage that answer in a fundamental sense, but I do think those answers, while they are, they do reflect our 18, 19 year olds of our day. They're sad. That's what these students determine is what will allow them to be venerated by society. But to be brought under the wing of a distinguished rabbi, to be taught by a a master teacher, that is what young Jewish men would want. And the young men in society who displayed the greatest intellectual acuity, well, they were brought in by the great rabbis and teachers as apprentices, as they called them disciples. And these disciples knew Scripture. They knew Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, they knew it inside and out, like really, really knew it. Young man, how many times in Genesis is a bird mentioned? And they could come up with it in a matter of seconds by memory. How many references there are to birds? That's knowing the text, y'all. This is how seriously they took it. They could answer questions like that. They knew the text. They memorized it. They they knew it by heart. They knew it inside and out. These young Jewish men would 
pore over the scriptures. They spent ample time studying, memorizing, learning their trade. They, they kept their eyes and their hearts fixed on their rabbi, their teacher. You could say that they believed their rabbi. So how did Jesus know the works he was doing? He knew his rabbi. And who's Jesus, his rabbi? It's the best. It's the father. He watched his father. Now look at what Jesus says to the religious leaders in verses 39 and 40. Chapter 5. You, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them. Yet they testify about me. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Jesus is trying to get them to realize where they are, who they are with. He is letting them in on what didn't need to be a secret. They needed to know who they were with, who Jesus is, who his rabbi is, what the works he is doing means, what the work he will ultimately do on the cross, what it ultimately means. But you are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. You are going to stay in the scriptures. But Jesus is begging them to know who he is, who they are with. Their nose is stuck in the scriptures for all the wrong reasons when everything the scriptures is telling them is standing right there with them. I want to go back to Luke 4 to illustrate this a little more. Luke chapter 4. This is another time that Jesus was with the religious leaders. Look at verse 16. says he came to that Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up it's his hometown as usual he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and unrolling the scroll he found the place where it was written the spirit of the Lord is on me this is straight out of Isaiah 61 the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and, and recovery of sight to the blind, to, to set the oppressed, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. Some pretty weighty words Isaiah prophesied. And by pretty, I mean very. Everything will be turned upside down. I have come. The spirit of the Lord is on me. I have been anointed to preach good news to the poor. The kicked, the down, the underbelly of the world, those who go unnoticed, I will notice. Today, as I read this, Jesus said, this is fulfilled 
This has come to be. Do you believe Jesus, church? Do you believe him? Is he your teacher? Is he your rabbi? What do you pour over? Do you read the scripture because you you think you're supposed to? Do you do it to try to please God? Because, Because in this act... God will be pleased and you'll attain eternal life. It's not the words that give life. It's Jesus. The scripture has been fulfilled in him. And in Jesus, the world structures are turned upside down. We must read about it. It tells us all about it. I wake up early in the morning and I walk into the living room and with a cup of coffee, I read the Bible and some days are more profound than others, but every day I expect to be with Jesus as I read the text because the scriptures testify to Jesus. He is God's word. Do you believe Jesus? Read about him. Know him. The scriptures testify to him. Our daughter is five. And I don't know who in our family says this. It's certainly not me because I don't take the Lord's name in vain. But she has gotten into the habit of saying, oh, my word. And it's so cute. When a five-year-old says, oh, my word. I hope she talks to Jesus the rest of her life. I hope she knows who the word is. I hope her mom and I show her. I hope you do. Read about him. Spend time in the word. They point us to Jesus. The words on the page are not him. He is the word of God. The scriptures testify to him. When you, when you read them, you spend time with him. You are being pointed to him. And you, we have to spend time with him. We have to spend time with them. So we can become those who, who are like John the Baptist, who, who testify to him. We, we, we are called to be his witnesses. Like the works of Jesus were, were witness to him. We are called to, to witness to him. And like the scriptures themselves are witness to him and point others to Jesus, we are called to do that with our lives, to constantly point others to Jesus. So do you, church, believe Jesus? Our lives will answer that question, whether or not we do. Does how we spend our days point others to Jesus? Do we know the things he did and said? And do we do them? There once was a pastor who was returning uh, to Nashville from California on a, pl- on a plane. I was on a plane recently. I got upgraded to first class. First class is very nice, by the way. It has nothing to do with this story. I've just thought about it. I don't think they were in first class, but 
felt weird. They were giving me things that everybody else in the plane weren't, weren't getting. That's a different sermon. Um, his seatmate, the pastor's seatmate was a woman visiting her grandkids here in Nashville. And they fell into a conversation and she began to ask him questions. She said, what were you doing in California? He said, well, I was visiting Loma Linda University. And she said, oh, that's the Seventh-day Adventist church, uh, place, school, isn't it? He said, yeah, yeah, it is. She said, well, are you Seventh-day Adventist? And he said, um, no, but they invited me. She said, you mean you went to a Seventh-day Adventist place and you're not even Seventh-day Adventist? He said, no, but they were kind enough to invite me. She said, I know what you were doing. I know what you were doing. He said, what? Well, you were othering. Preacher said, I was? She said, yeah, you were othering. He said, what's othering? Well, she said, my preacher preaches on it every Sunday. He says, we need to do more othering. What he means is we need to get acquainted with people who are different from ourselves. We need to establish friendships. We need to share and work and in play and, and pray together and praise and everything together with people who are not like us. Other people, the other. Get acquainted and deal with them, relate to them, you know, the other. He calls it othering. Well, he preaches on it every Sunday. And I am sick and tired to hear about othering. It's just a fad, she said. And the preacher said at this point, the woman got all bothered. So I think I told the story wrong. I got bothered before she actually got bothered, but she really gets bothered. It's just a fad, she said. It'll pass. And when it, I sure will be glad when it passes. Because if the preacher says one more word about othering, I'm going to throw up right there in my seat. We really don't want that on the carpets in our churches. So, She said, it's a fad. She said, look here. And she pulled out the Sky Magazine in the, you know, seat back pocket. She said, look, the airline. This article written in English and Spanish and Japanese. She said, look there. They think they're othering. She said a few years ago, it would have just been in English. We'll get back to just having it in English. This is just a fad. Preacher said, it is not a fad. No, it's just a fad. Preacher said, no, it's not a fad. It is as old as Christianity. She said, what do you mean? He said, well, when Jesus died, Pilate put a sign on the cross. Do y'all know this church? You can read about it. Pilate put a sign on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. Jesus said, you study the scriptures in order to find out what you must do so that you will live forever with God, so that you will inherit eternal life. And all the while, Jesus is right there with us, saying, here I am. On the cross, here I am. A man for everyone. The Savior 
of the world. Anointed, set apart, born to bring good news to the poor, to anybody. Does your life tell others that you believe that, church? Do you believe him? Let's pray.